0: This homily, based on John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, was preached in St. Michael's Church on Sunday, July 25th. Seeing a large crowd approaching him, writes John, Jesus says to Philip, Where might we buy loaves of bread so the crowd might eat? Over the next five weeks, the Sunday lectionary has us reading different portions of John's Gospel, chapter 6, often referred to as the Bread of Life passage. This particular chapter is rich with theological language and imagery about the who, what, when, where, how, and why of the body of Christ. Today, we have the feeding of the 5,000. We're told that a crowd is following Jesus around because, says John, they saw signs. And then Jesus asks this question, where can we buy bread to feed the crowd? Notice that Philip doesn't answer the question. Philip doesn't say, well... There's a market down the road or there's a a market in town. There's a farm just down the street or I'm not sure, Jesus, it's kind of late and most of the bakeries have already closed. Instead, Philip says, we don't have enough money to buy enough bread to feed these people. The picture that John paints offers a great deal of clarity. We have the disciples, the people on the inside. They have seen what Jesus is capable of. And we have a mesmerized crowd, and they've come to see more. The disciples are stuck in linear thinking. To get enough bread, you need enough money. Their imagination is constricted by their wallets. The approaching crowd, these are the people who would apparently chase anyone who did the things that Jesus was doing. Later, we learn that they want to make Jesus king, which is another way to limit God according to the strictures of the world. A king takes care of the people. A king is a protector. A king creates jobs. A king is not responsible for union with God, the salvation of the world. They have a limited geography and a centralized government. There is a glimmer of faith when Andrew wanders over, having shaken down a little boy to get his lunch. I found this, says Andrew, and he sets down a barley basket of five loaves and two fish. But then doubt sets in as Andrew looks at the crowd and says, but this will never feed so many. Notice that when Jesus looks up and sees the crowd, his immediate response is, we need to feed these people. When the disciples look at the crowd, all they see is what they don't have. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, sky and sea, the one through whom all things are created, is standing before the disciples as they tell Jesus we can't afford it. The cost is too great. How many of us have been in a situation where we saw a need? We knew it was a need that must be satisfied, but we looked around and we couldn't imagine the possibilities because there was not enough time or money. Anyone besides me guilty of this? Jesus takes the bread and fish, gives thanks and their bellies are filled. Barley was the first grain that would have been ready for harvesting when this event takes place, just before Passover in the spring. Winter would have emptied the storehouses and pantries, although the least savory of breads, it was bread nonetheless, and the barley loaves provided a certain anticipation and excitement about the harvest to come. The barley loaves are significant in this regard and help to qualify a little bit of Philip's concern. There wasn't as much bread to go around this time of year, and whoever held on to a little extra grain had set it aside for Passover or possibly to inflate the price of a loaf. Not only are the disciples stuck in their own monetized imaginations, but it's all the more challenging for them as they recognize that a denarii just doesn't go as far this time of year as it might in the fall. Supply and demand is all over the Gospels. And it limits the imaginations as much then as it does now. As production lines wait for ports and supply chains to open up. Because of such limitations, many today are saying we can't rather than imagining something new, a new possibility, a new opportunity, a new adventure. We forget, as St. Augustine reflects on this passage of Scripture, we forget that it is a greater marvel that God has created and governs the whole of creation, making the sun to shine, the rain to fall, the plants to grow, than multiplying a few loaves and fish. God makes this possible all day, every day. Yet just like the crown, we place the greater emphasis on feeding 5,000 reclined on a grassy knoll. <clears throat> what would happen to us if we stopped seeing what can't be done and began imagining how God is already making possible what God wants us to do? What if we began seeing that the real miracle is the reality of our existence? Restoring sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, and healing the infirm are bonuses to the greater miracle that is the gift of creation. We see what's wrong with the world because we do not yet know what's right with it. There is so much cause for rejoicing There is such an abundance for accomplishing the work of God that God is asking us to do. But if our attention is captivated by the accidents of the true miracle of God's creative act of love that brings forth and sustains the universe, we will fail to experience the mystery of life. This is why so many mystics and spiritual writers tell the church that if we want to become one with God, if we want to experience the fullness of our life, our union in Christ, we have to forget everything we know about ourselves and God. We have to forget everything, not because what we know is wrong, but because our experiences and what we can see and understand in the present moment can only ever be incomplete. It is knowledge and experience limited by our mortal life, though we often treat our knowledge and understanding as immortal. The feeding of the 5,000 reveals a great deal more than God's ability to multiply loaves and fish. There is an inner meaning to this outer form, as Augustine writes, that should fill us with wonder. If you're like me, I've often read this passage as if Jesus is kind of standing in front of the disciples, dividing the loaves and fish, kind of pinching off just a little bit here and there until there's plenty to go round. Kind of like a bit of Toast Points and some canned fish we might find in the store. But I've begun to reimagine this whole scene quite differently. I now see Jesus taking a loaf from the basket, breaking it in half, and doing the same with everything, each loaf, each fish. And it keeps replenishing. It keeps filling. And there's more and more to go round. Until everyone has had their fill. The one who created the grains and the fish has no need to break these into tiny pieces. The God of the universe need not be skinty and try to figure out how to cut them into five thousand tiny little even portions, as you might find in a cheese it hundred calorie bag. That's not how God works. This Jesus gives thanks. And in giving thanks, abundance ensues. The cost of barley went down that day. The price of fish went down that day. Suddenly, there is abundance. Or rather, suddenly there was an awareness of the present abundance of God. When all was said and done, they needed more hungry people to feed, And here's the shift in imagination to which the gospel of Jesus Christ calls. Do we see the crowd, the hungry of this world, those who hunger for food, for peace, for rest, who hunger to be loved? Do we see these persons as gifts of God, the invitation of God to be generous Or do we see these as potential burdens? People who want what I have. People who, if I give what I have earned, will deplete my wealth. Where your treasure is, says Jesus, there also your heart. Now let me pause briefly and say that this is not a stewardship sermon. I'm not getting ready to ask you for money. But let me also remind that the call of Christ is a call to recognize the world in its contingency on God, not as limited by what we see as available resources. It is this way of thinking that is depleting our world's natural resources right now. But that's for another homily. Today, in this particular passage, we are invited to discern the awareness of the body of Christ. Where is the church? Modern Christians have felt a great deal of pride when we show off our beautiful buildings and then we tell visitors that this is where the church worships, but the real church is out at work on vacation. The people, they are all over. Where the people are, there is the church. Now certainly this is true. But the invitation here, the inner meaning of this gospel to borrow from Augustine, suggests that the church, the body of Christ, is wherever people are hungry. The church is where there are those who are seeking more out of life, even seeking a miracle or sign. This is where the body of Christ is Even though the crowd may be seeking a miracle for themselves or for a sign that makes them feel better about their lot in life, we know that this is not the root of their desire. We show up, for instance, for rituals and liturgies, and we savor religious experiences that make us feel better about ourselves. We love the trappings of God. Yet these aspects of our life together will get in the way of our union with each other in God and the call of Christ to serve, if they are nothing more than spiritual tokens to buy and consume. It is also to recognize that we ourselves are gifts, gifts of God, gifts to be received by others, This, however, requires a great deal more humility than caring for others. Recognizing that we are gifts of God requires an openness to being received by others, being loved, being cared for, being fed by others. The challenge here is owning my dependence on God and others. It means acknowledging and living into my need for others, even if I have plenty of food, a pleasant home, and a good retirement plan. The disciples need the crowd. The crowd needs the disciples. Each is a gift that God wants to give the other so that we all may be one as the Father and Son are one. To be the body of Christ is to feed and to be fed. And the body of Christ is wherever this reciprocity is available in the context of giving thanks to God. It is a vulnerability with others where life is multiplied by giving ourselves to and receiving ourselves from one another. Where this occurs We will come to find joy in the rituals, the fellowship, and spiritual experiences of the church, not because of how these make me feel or because of what I might get out of them, but because they lead beyond myself toward a life that nourishes others, whereby I receive who I am from those who are not biologically related to me, with whom I am related to for no other reason or purpose than God in Christ has adopted all of us to be siblings. Where is the body of Christ? It is wherever this is becoming a reality. And we will see it when we see the possibilities that God is making available when you and I give and receive ourselves from those who are not us. That is when we are broken and we are multiplied to become the abundance of God in the world. And that, my friends, is the real miracle of the gospel. Amen. Yeah.